But it's good to laugh at ourselves. I think sometimes we take ourselves way too seriously. And um, a guy who laughs really loud and hard, uh, I think that's a sign of humility because he doesn't care. He just laughs loud. Sometimes we, uh, we, <laughs> we these little prideful chuckles because we don't want people to... Because if you ever laugh, you just kind of like, it's just an open-hearted thing. Um, two weeks ago, we were, uh, I was driving home by myself, just laughing hysterically, and dumb dead serious, because I had you guys turn to Second Peter 2, um, where was that, 15. And I, or 16, and, I, and I'm th- totally like in a track of mind where I'm like, okay, I'm going to tell them about Peter right now and what, um, how he was led by the Holy Spirit. And I looked down at the verse I gave you, and Rick had beat me to it, and he looks at me, and I start to read, these are, um, but he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey <laughs> speaking with a man's voice. And I'm like, oh no, this is the wrong passage. And I started to panic and but uh, it's good to laugh at ourselves. Sometimes I take myself way too serious. Um, and the Lord humbles us. Uh, amen to what Tanner said and Rick said about marriage. Rick, uh, Rick told me that uh, he was at my desk doing some, doing some work for this evening. And my wife texted and he looked over and read it. And he, he relayed the text to me and he says, hey, your wife texted you and she said she loves you and preached the word. And I was like, oh, what a godly girl. So I'm kind of pumped this evening. My, I'm commissioned by the Lord and my wife to bring the word. Um, uh, this evening, is kind of, it's kind of a bittersweet message in some regards. One of the things that Tanner and I realized in ministry at Cross Life is that you guys aren't going to stay here. You know, even like good friends like Sarah, who's on our leadership, is going to leave. A lot of you will leave this summer. You're going to get a job. You're going to graduate. You're going to, you're going to go. Um, so this evening, we're going to be looking at things to look for in a healthy church. Because we want to equip you so that when you go to that, wherever the Lord leads you, um, you know what a healthy church looks like. Um, I'd like for you just to think in your own heads for a second. If you this summer, and maybe you are, are going to go to a, another town, another place away from here, and you're going to pick a church, what would be the top three things you'd look for? I'll give you 30 seconds to tell your neighbor. What would be the top three things that you would look for in a church? Okay, let's start wrapping up our comments. <laughs> Jen and I, we, uh, we came from Maryland to Bozeman six years ago. And um, there's a lot of churches in this valley. And uh, I think by... So we were in that kind of like church-looking state. Um, where do we go to church at? Do you go to default, the one that's closest? Uh, do you... How do you do that? Because no one had ever like said, like taught me, Andy, when you go look for a church, 
You know, I'd, just go, I'd grown up at one church for years. I'd met Jen there, we got married there, and then I moved to Bozeman. We both moved to Bozeman. How many, have you, have you heard many sermons on how to pick a church? Um, there's good resources out there. Uh, I'm not going to take credit for what we're going through this evening. There's two good books that I did a lot of studying in. One is called, a lot of you have this, Why Church Matters by Josh Harris. It has a good chapter in it, and I stole a lot of stuff from this book. Um, another one is called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Another good book by Mark Dever. If, and there's, there's good sermons. Um, what's the, uh, the youth conference that John Montoya goes to with the youth group? Uh, Resolved. Last, if you go online and you go to the Resolved Conference of last summer, they, their whole series was on the church, and there's good sermons in there. So I'd recommend that you, you check out some of these resources so you don't just go blindly in. Here's what I hear from people, and here's what I've thought myself when I go to a church. First impressions, things that I like, things that, um, especially in the past, kind of it was like they were at the forefront of my mind. One was the music, right? That I like the music. The other thing was the building. That was a huge building. Wow, that was the smallest church building I've ever seen. Like these are first impressions. Attendance. We talk about there was a lot of people there. Or I went to this church and there was like nobody there. Um, preachers. That guy is so funny. I've never heard someone so smart. Man, I was bored out of my mind. I'm never going back. You know these comments we make? Um, the style that he preached. We talk about the friendliness. I went into that church, and I got invited over for dinner. Everybody came up and talked to me. Or on the other hand, I went into that church, and nobody even noticed me. Nobody talked to me. They were not friendly. I'm not going back. What does that say about how we pick churches? A lot of it has to do with me. I liked the music. I was, it was my style of worship. The building made me feel comfortable. The pastor made me laugh. The, um, the people made me feel welcome. I'd like to remind you a couple things. 1 Peter 1.18 says that the church was bought by God with his son's blood. Church belongs to Christ. Church belongs to God. It's His church. Um, Christ said, I will build my church. I'd like you to think instead of, does this church meet my needs? But this evening, I'd like to go through several things. Does this church honor Christ, who it belongs to? That's more important than me. That's infinitely more important. Because if this church doesn't honor God and it honors me, that's a church to me. Man, that's, that's the furthest place I want to run from that place. I'm going to ask the guys who have the handouts if they could pass them out now. Um, I think uh, one of the things that a person would do is if they were going to look for a church... Real practical things you can do. Um, you can pick up a doctrinal statement. You can pick up, if you look outside the front of our church, or if you go to the, the front desk and ask Mickey, you can find out what a church believes. 
And that is helpful. The hard part about, pick, about reading doctrinal statements and about reading literature from a church is a lot of times that is their, um, that's their practice. That's what they set forth. But practically, is that how they live? Like I was talking to John and I said, what would you look for in a church? And John said, I'd look for a church that preaches God's word. Well, yeah, that's right. And every church that you go to, you say, do you preach God's word? And they're going to say, yes. Very seldom will you go to a church and they go, no, we rely mostly on heresy and we distort God's word. <laughs> like, they're not going to say that. It'll be in their doctrinal statement. So what I'd like to do this evening is I'd like to lay out some of these steps, or not steps, but things to look for in a healthy church. And then I'd like to, if you, if you see, there's three questions. What is it? What does it look like? And how do I know it? I think you guys have those three questions. No. Um, why is it important? Or what is it? I want to explain what it is. I want to tell you why this is important. And how do I know it when I see it? Because people can say things and you can read things. But you need to discern it for yourself. Um. I'd also like to, uh, in studying this, I'd like to uh, have a little disclaimer. And that is, is, that, is that by no means, by teaching this, are Tanner and I, or anybody, sitting as judges as if we've got this down. Yeah, we did all. You see those nine things? We got them. Churches are like families. There's no perfect family. You know that. And you know how it is with a family. You always think that you have the weird family. And everybody else's family is perfect. And that's how churches are. Because they're made up of people that are striving to serve the Lord. So I don't want you to to, uh, be arrogant as we go through this and like start to do a checklist from your church back home. That's not the intention. Um, It's not for me or anybody else to say, you know, we're doing these things. You know, by God's grace, this is how we're walking towards. There's a little slogan that says, you know, it's not about perfection, it's about direction. And we're perfecting by the grace of the Lord. That's, that's what sanctification is. We're growing. We're not there yet. So as we go through these things, uh, I'm convicted too. And I, we need to work on these things too. Um, First thing I wrote down there on your notes, and that's kind of one of those uh, term, big term things, expositional preaching. I wrote that down first. Um, if you go to Grace Bible Church and several other, other churches in the valley, this is going to be the practice. The word expositional, what that means? Exposing, shedding light. And I want to tell you something that... In other parts of the country, in many, 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 many churches, this is a dinosaur. This isn't something that's like up and coming. This is, this is old school. And a, there's a lot of people who were thinking that preaching and exposing God's word and talking about it for what it is, is out of date. And I'd like to show you that that's not what God intend, intends for us. 
Expositional preaching means exposing. Make the point of the passage the point of the preaching. Here's what we can so easily do when we take God's word. Is I have an agenda and I'm going to take God's word and I'm going to back me up. If God's word does not give me permission to say it, then I do not have permission to say it. And that is what expositional preaching is. It is um, it's preaching the point of what God intended it for. Why is it important? The second thing. God accomplishes his purpose through speaking. Such a... Really? It's through speaking? Think of Genesis. How did God create the world? He spoke. How did God bring all of the planets and light to jump to life? He spoke. When God speaks, things happen. How did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? He spoke. That's powerful. God speaking accomplishes its purpose. In Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, write those verses down. You can read them later. It says that, you know, when the rain goes out, it goes on the crop, it accomplishes a purpose. The seed grows. And God's, God says, the same will happen with my word. When it goes out, it will not return to me void. It will not return empty. God's word always accomplishes its purpose. Paul told Timothy, just like my wife told me, preach the word in season and out of season. Preach the word. Preaching the word is the priority in a church. It's not out of date. A guy standing up and saying, thus saith the Lord, is not out of date. Preaching the word in um, 1 Peter 2.2, the word is how we grow. Peter says, desire the pure milk of the word. Why? The next word phrase, that you may grow. No word, no growth. God's word is sufficient. 2 Timothy 3.16, it is sufficient for all things that pertain to life and godliness of the believer. It's enough. In fact, it's, it's all that the Christian needs is God's word. What is contained in that? Um, Christ said, for we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. No word, no life. And, and I'm not saying that this is a magical book. Like, I don't rub it like a genie. It's the message that it contains. It's what's in God's Word. Okay? Um, the alternative is God condemns men who preach from their own imagination. Let's go to Jeremiah 23, 16 real quick. Oh, I'm nervous. I hope this is the right one. Okay, Jeremiah 23, 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. Now listen to this next sentence. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. Do you get that? God says, don't listen to men who speak a vision of their own heart. And it's not from God's mouth. 
Peter said, for we do not follow cleverly devised fables. This wasn't, this was not man's idea. God's word was God's idea. Really, God writing? You couldn't have like, done it. That's what God intended and has sovereignly allowed. This is the priority, the message in God's word. Now, here's the question, is how do, you, um, how do you know? How do you know that when you go to a church that God's word is the priority? I'm going to ask you a question. When you leave, what do you remember? Um, if you, and I want to be careful here because I love illustrations. I think God is, a, is an illustrator. But if you say... Yes, our church believes that preaching God's word is the priority. And then you show movie clips. And then you do a, like an interpretive dance. And then you are very funny. And I leave there and I say, um, wow, that was the funniest pastor I've ever seen. I've missed the point. Because you know what was the point? His humor. If, if I leave there and say, oh my goodness, I forgot about that movie. I'm going to have to watch that. That was a good movie. I've, we've missed the point. Illustrations are only good if they serve what they're illustrating. Like, I hope that it's not a distraction that I built a wall that stands for the foundation in Ephesians 2.20 of leadership. Like, I don't want you to think like, wow, what a clever wall. Like, I hope you, th- you looked at that wall and you said, you know what? I can actually see how God has set the church up. If, if I messed up there, forgive me. That was not the point. I wanted you to be able to see what is God's doing. And if you leave with anything else but this, it's not the priority. And that's a temptation for, for a guy like me and Tanner, is our hearts want you to like us. We're deceitful in our hearts. And so we'll do things like, will be funny, or, humor, or some people will, will be, um, they'll shock you. And, and rather than leaving and saying, wow, God's word is amazing, you say, can you believe what he said? Ah, in church. He's missed the point. Do you, get, do you understand that? Um, another thing, uh, topical preaching. I'm topical preaching right now. I'm, I'm preaching on a topic. Here's what's dangerous about topical preaching. I'm going to be using a lot of scripture this evening and jumping around. It is, the, it is my responsibility, it is the preacher's responsibility to use what God said in context. I cannot, I don't, God does not give the, the, anybody permission for me to have a topic and then to randomly pick verses to support that topic. Exposition, exposing what that verse means, is I only have permission to say what God has allowed me to say, and I need to be a good student. You can listen. If it's a lot of topical preaching, be careful. If it is... Um, I want to give you this little quote. Nothing can replace God's word in the mouth of God's man standing before you. 
we can be very innovative and try to make church more flashy and catchy, but nothing will ever replace God's word in the mouth of God's man who's been changed standing before you. Like, have you, um, one of the most amazing things to me is when I see a man who has been changed, his heart's been changed, and he's saying, you've got to read this. And he's like an illustration standing right before me of God calling a man to life and speaking words of life. And that's what I want. Nothing will ever replace God's word in the mouth of God's man standing in front of you proclaiming, thus saith the Lord. Okay? It just just won't get outdated. Let's go to the next one. Biblical theology. What is biblical theology? This is the end product that God intends for expository preaching. Write down Luke 24, 27, and 44. And what this is, is it's the last portion of Jesus' life. And he says that he taught his disciples what was in the prophets, in Moses, and in the Psalms, all the things that concerned him. And that's the point of Scripture. All of Scripture is cohesive. From Genesis to Revelation, we as a church must teach all of it. And not like um, we teach some of it. We don't, well, we don't really uh, um, agree with this part or we really, we really preach the New Testament, but we really think that God's Old, the Old Testament is kind of a thing of yesteryear. It's it, um, Scripture, the plenary of Scripture is the full counsel of God. All of it and nothing more than it. The entirety of Scripture, preaching the context of the passage and not divorcing it from the context of the entire Scripture. And people will they'll start to get a little nervous with like things like the flood. Because isn't that a metaphor? And they'll start to get nervous with things like David and Goliath. Really? Noah? You believe that? You don't think that's just a fable to teach us good morals? Here's the danger. Um, Why is it important that a church preaches the full counsel of God and, and, and believes in it? Because if you start to compromise in these little areas of like the flood, creation, when are you going to stop? Really? A virgin birth? Really? God became a man? Now, you don't believe, maybe we could compromise that maybe he was a good man. You see, it's either all of it. God is, it's fully God's word or it's not God's word. And that's the amazing thing of scripture is that it's not been debunked. We can place our faith in that it is infallible. It will not lead you astray. All of it. All of it. And it's fully cohesive. Just like Christ pointed out to his disciples. It, and here's the next one. Um, how, do you, well, how are you going to know? You're going to have to read the church doctrine statement practically. And you're going to have to listen. You have to be a good listener. And this leads to the next one. A biblical understanding of the gospel. What is the gospel? This is the center of biblical theology. Just like we looked at in that last passage, the gospel is what elevates God's glory 
and restores man to be what he intended to be in Genesis 1.26, made in the image of his creator. The gospel is the plan before creation. It permeates and saturates the entirety of scripture. The gospel is what Adam and Eve were promised in Genesis 3. It is what the law looked forward to. It is what God desired for Israel and the prophets foretold. The gospel is the pearl of great price, the seed that fell on the, so- the soils, the, tre- the treasure hidden in a field. The gospel is God's holiness in contrast to man's sinfulness. It's what all creation is judged by and reveals our condemnation to those who are apart from it, but it's grace to those who are a part of it. The gospel is God doing through His Son, Jesus Christ, what no man could do. It's a virgin birth. God became a man, lived a perfect life, died for sin. God raised Him again, and He lives today. See, that, that biblical theology, gospel, is the crown of it. It permeates and saturates the whole thing. It's what brings it all together. If you don't have an elevated view of the gospel in a church, you have a dis- it's disjointed. All of a sudden, Scripture just kind of un- it unravels and becomes proverbs that just good sayings and morals. Why is this important? This is the point. If you miss this, you miss it all. Ephesians 2.20, you miss this, you miss the chief cornerstone. And if the chief cornerstone is off, the house is off. And if the house is off, it it won't stand. Um, The life of the church is the overflow of the gospel. Okay? When I came to Grace, and I'll be straight up with you, I, I didn't really like the music. It wasn't my style. But you know what? I liked what they were singing. I liked what they were saying. And if, you'll, if Jeremy, he'll, he'll, he'll be honest with you, he doesn't always like the style. But you know what? He is serving a, a wide variety of people. And what, is, what cannot change is that the gospel permeates that, that those songs. But you know what? Give or take, styles, drums, whatever. But I, did, I, didn't, I wasn't a big fan of the style of it, but I liked what they sang. And then as I fell in love with the men who led it, and I fell in love with all the more. And I liked what it was. Just a little testimony there. The gospel will permeate their music. It will permeate their counseling. If you don't have the gospel in counseling, how are you restoring sinful, broken, distor- man back to the image of his creator. If you don't have the gospel, you're going to use medicine. You're going to use psychology. You're going to use, um, go have a shouting spell. I don't know. I hope you feel better. Whistle a tune. If you don't have the gospel, what are you going to use? It's going to permeate the preaching like we talked about. It's going to permeate the discipleship. If we don't have the gospel and discipleship, what are we walking towards? And how are we getting there without grace? It's going to permeate evangelism. Mission. If you don't have the gospel and missions, you know what we are? Humanitarian. We're just making this short, miserable life a touch less miserable by digging a well. That's good. But it's not the end. And if you look at Jesus, 
He ministered to the people, but the point, that was not the point. It was merely a means to an end. And if the gospel isn't the point of missions, you're just, you're a humanitarian, period. The gospel must be, is essential to a healthy church. How will you know? You will hear it from the pulpit. Listen to your pastor. You will hear it. It will jump out of his lips. And you will see it in the overflow of the church life. Let's go on to number four. A biblical understanding of conversion. And this follows up the gospel appropriately. What is it? Scripture calls us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. It is important for a Christian to have an understanding of man's part in the gospel. If you just tell people about the half of it and you don't say, and you must respond, you have a responsibility, what do you have? I tell you what you don't have. You don't have a believer. You just have a smarter sinner. You have a guy who knows more, but he's the same. You don't have a, a live man. At best, you have a whitewashed tomb. At best, you have a guy who looks real shiny on the outside, but on the inside is dead and stinking. You have a religious fella if you don't have, if you don't have a good understanding of conversion. Conversion is the turning in faith to God and repentance from sin. Conversion is the turning in faith to God and repentance from sin. Write this down. Ephesians 2, 5 is what God does. He calls dead man to life. He opens blind man's eyes. He gives the gift of faith and repentance. Philippians 1, 29 says that. Acts 11, 18 says that. And it's what people do. Mark 1, 15, they believe and repent. Acts 3.19, they believe and repent. John 3.16, they believe. Romans 3.21-26, they believe and repent. you got to get that. If that is not part of the church, why is that important? This is what clarifies how a church encourages a member to exhort unbelievers. And if we don't have this, we just water down the gospel and we have easy believism. Jesus said narrow is the way. And few that find it. If you miss this, you have broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there's a lot of people on that path. If you don't get this right in a church. How will you know? How will you know? I read a quote by John Newton that says this. I'm not what I ought to be. And I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not what I, I'm growing. There is a conversion in my life. You know what you're going to see? You're going to see humble people. One, they will confess their love for Christ because they have believed in his name. Two, you will see a hatred for sin because they have turned from it. You will see humility, because by the grace of God, they are not what they used to be. You will see a confession and a love for Jesus, a faith in Him, and they will hate their sin. That's how you'll know it.
Let's go on to the next one. A biblical understanding of evangelism. Matthew 28 says, As you go into all the nations, teaching men to observe all things that I have commanded them. And I'd like to key in on evangelism is as you go. It's a way of life for the Christian. Evangelism is a way of life. Why is that important? The church that does not practice biblical evangelism will be manipulative. And I'll talk about that in a second. Two, it'll be doctrinally weak. What do you mean? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify the Lord Christ in your heart. Sanctify means grow. How? How do I grow? Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Does that make sense? Sanctify, grow. How do I do that? You better be ready to give an answer. No growth? You're probably not ready. Why are you not ready? Because you're not practicing biblical evangelism. You see, evangelism is where we rub shoulders in the world. It's where the rubber meets the road and they ask you the hard questions in class. Peter says, always be ready. Sanctify Christ in your heart. Always be ready. It will be unhealthy. How will it be unhealthy? See, it'll have unhealthy growth. This is how a church grows unhealthily. A bunch of, a bunch of Christians who are dissatisfied shuffle around. And they try this church and they're... And then they go over here and... And, they, they, and you see, church, the, church the, the people are growing, but I don't think it's what you would call healthy growth. Or there'll be no growth. Why would there be no, no growth? Because there's no new converts. Church that has practices evangelism, there'll be healthy growth of new believers. How will you know? And I, and I want to be careful with this. Here, here's what we do by we're manipulative as Christians. We do rock star events like the one next weekend, Andy. How? We have events. Here's the difference. Why don't you guys come to my church? The world's strongest man is coming and he's going to bend steel and all these awesome things. And your friend's like, are you serious? Yeah, I'm coming. And then the guy comes and he's like, I only do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) You know what that's called? Bait and switch. See, you told them to come to eat pizza, but what you really did is you got them in the door. What is that called? Lying. It's called lying. Really? Is that what Christ meant when he said, go evangelize and make disciples? To watch one rock star guy give the gospel and everybody else kind of be like, go get him. I think he meant for you, you, all of you. And I'm talking to you right now. I'm not talking hypothetically to as you go through your classes and your jobs to make disciples. That's healthy. 
you will grow. You're gonna be, you're gonna be texting Tanner and be like, uh, this guy just asked me this question and I don't know what to say to him. What do I say? You need to go look in the Word. And all of a sudden you'll start to grow yourself. Let's keep moving. Church membership. Where do you find that in the Bible? Why would you do that? Um, let me talk to you about what church membership is. It's two things. One, it's a commitment from you to the church that you agree to su support that church and what they believe, to submit to that church and their leadership, and to serve in that body. That's the first part. To support, to submit, and to serve the body. That's your part in church membership. Here's the other half. It's a church's commitment to you, to feed you and lead you. Why is that important? One, it's good for you. How will you follow Matthew 18? How are you going to do that? How are you going to um, do the steps of church restoration if you're not even committed to a church and the church isn't committed to you? How will you follow Hebrews 13 when it says submit to your elders if you're not submitted to any elders and you're not committed to any elders? How are you going to submit to the one another's? What brothers are you going to submit to? If you're not committed to, the, are you going to submit to all the brothers in the valley? You're going to go crazy. See, church membership, it defines which body you're part of. It's good for the leaders. First Peter says, shepherd the flock that is among you. How is the shepherds going to know what flock is among them? Are they just expected to shepherd every person who walks in the door? Do you know what the turnover rate in Cross Life is? There's a lot of people every week that I've never met before. There's a lot of people at Grace that come in every week that I've never met before. Is that our responsibility to shepherd all of them? That would drive, I mean, that's going to be crazy. See, church membership says this is the flock that's among you. I am committed to them, and they are committed to me. How will you know if that church, if the church you're looking has one? You just got to ask. There you go. <laughs> ask about membership what it means to become a member and be careful sometimes look at the methodology of how to become a church member if it's like oh sign this document there you go you're at the door that's a little too easy and then if they have these classes really classes hey maybe they take this seriously that's a good thing. Maybe they take you seriously. When, when you are going down and you are wrestling in depression, you want somebody to take you seriously. And if they just sign something and you're out the door, maybe they don't take you seriously. Think of their methods there. Let's move on. Church discipline. Or as Josh Harris put it in his book, are they willing to kick me out? Some people call this church restoration. I like to call it church discipline. What is it? It is not complacently allowing a believer to just wander away. It's following Matthew 18. 
where it says, go to your brother who's offended you. And if he rejects you, take another brother. And if he rejects you still, bring it before the church. And if he's still, treat him like an unbeliever. Really? Yeah. It's Second Thessalonians 3, 6. That says, if, if, if a brother is living in sin, you stay away from him. You say, Andy, but that seems pretty harsh. Why would you do that? Well, first, that's what the Lord has laid out to restore a believer. Um, let's go to the section, why is it important? You see, we are like sheep. That's what Isaiah said, all, all we like sheep have turned astray. We are like sheep. We're dumb. And we wonder. And our flesh is like, hmm, and it does stupid things. And here's what a shepherd would do. A shepherd, if he had one of those sheep that liked to wander, and the shepherd's like, that idiot sheep, doesn't he know there's wolves outside this wall? I'm not going to let that happen because I love that sheep. So he walks up to that sheep, and he takes him in his arms, and he breaks his leg. He does what? Yeah. He would break that sheep's leg. You think that sheep's going to wander anymore? He can't. And then you know what he does? You say, what does he do then? He does not put him down. He doesn't just forget about him. He picks the sheep up, and he carries him around. And that sheep needs that shepherd. Because if that shepherd puts him down, a wolf's eating him. And if that shepherd puts him down, he can't drink. How's he going to eat? How's he going to keep up with the herd? He must stay with the shepherd. And that shepherd and that sheep, they form a bond. And when that leg heals, that sheep never leaves that shepherd's side ever again. You see, church discipline hurts. But I think that discipline is one of the most loving things that a parent can do to a child. And I'm not talking about breaking legs. Did you, you realize that Hebrews 13 says that the Lord disciplines those he loves? Our society's got a real warped view of discipline. It's wrong. I love my boys too much for them to ignore my voice. And if they're running around the farm and they go out in the field for them just to ignore me when I say, don't walk behind that horse, don't walk out into the road. I love them too much for, to just let them go their way. And a lot of people will say, you know what, they'll figure it out. Or they'll figure it out on their own. They've got to learn. And the Lord doesn't do that. He says He disciplines those He loves. Church restoration is what that is. It's um, Hosea 6.1. Write this down. This is what it says. Come, let us return to the Lord, one, for He has torn us but he will heal us. For he has broken us, but he will bind us. Man, it's love. The Lord loves you too much as a believer to let you wonder, does your church love you that much? How are you going to know? You need to ask them their response to these passages. And ask them this. Could you tell me how you, the last time this happened, these passages, and how that, what, what happened? You don't have to give me names, but like, what's that look like? And if they say, oh, well, we love our people too much, just think of that shepherd who did not break the leg of the sheep and just said, you know what, I'm going to love this sheep a little too much. I'm going to let him go, and he gets eaten by a wolf. 
That's not right-headed thinking. Um, let's keep going. Number eight, discipleship. In our culture, we think discipleship, we think that means coffee. <laughs> right? It can. But it's not limited to coffee. I'd like you to think of apprenticeship. My little, my little boy, Jack, he, um, he's interesting. We were out making a chicken coop uh, a couple days ago, and um, he was hitting the, the nail. I, I set it in, and he's hitting it, and he couldn't get it in. And I was really surprised. He walks up to me, and he grabs my pant leg, and he goes, Daddy, teach me. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. Like, Rhett, he's like bending the nail over. He's like pounding nails in the ground everywhere, losing nails. And Jack's like, teach me. So I took the hammer. I took the hammer, and Jack grabbed right there. And I hit the hammer in, and he's like... Because <laughs> he's like trying to keep up with the swing. But he's the exact same way on the tractor. And I'm like driving around the yard, and Jack's got his, his arms on the, on the tractor wheel, and he's getting jerked all around. And I was forking hay to the horses, and I've got this end of the fork, and he's down here, and I'm forking it, and he's like, that's discipline. That's discipleship. It's a D word. It's apprenticeship. It's teaching. It's life on life. It's not hit and run. It's not love them and leave them. I used to go to these conferences at Ocean City, Maryland, and there'd be people running up and down the boardwalks yelling at me, Jesus loves you. And, I, and then they'd be like, man, discipling and evangelizing, evangelizing people for the Lord. And it turned me off because they were running around just throwing pearls at me, rocks. They were treating the gospel like a rock, not a precious pearl. When you disciple a person, it's life on life. It's long haul. Okay? It's, write this down. It's Colossians 1.28. It's, it's discipling every man to be perfect, to be like Christ Jesus. Study that verse. That's a good one. Why is it important? Matthew 28. It's expected of you. Christ expects it of you. I'm just going to give you some, a bunch of verses here. It's important because imitation is how Christians grow. 1 Corinthians 4.16, imitate me. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1. Philippians 4.9, read these later. Hebrews 13.7, 1 Peter 5.3, the elders, how do they teach? By example. And we imitate them. That's why it's important. How will you know that this is in a church? You will see it. You will see it happen. And there will be opportunities for you to be involved. And you know what? They're not going to be perfect opportunities because we're imperfect people. So don't, don't, sometimes it's funny. I think people will, they'll hang out with me or hang out with Tanner or hang out with Pastor Brian or somebody. And they have this, like this idea and then they get to know me, and I'm like a goofy guy. And sometimes I don't even know what to say. And they're like, huh, I thought I was expecting something holier. <laughs> Just a dude. Sometimes that's how it is, discipling people. I'm just going to love you here and tell you, I don't know what to say. 
but I'm right here and I'm going to pray with you and I will walk with you. Hold the hammer, man. Hold the hammer. I'm going to do my best to get that nail in. You get it? May not be perfect, but, but is it there is the point. The second thing you will know, you will see strong Christians. You will see ironing sharpened iron. They'll be sh- stronger. Two, you'll see strong friendships. Because discipleship is, man, it's the, it's the good things in life. It's the guy who will ask that question. Did you do that? Let's pray together. Those, those hard questions. Those good things. That's what that is. And then nine, leadership. We looked a lot, of, a lot at this two weeks ago. What is leadership? What should it look like? First, plural elders that lead. First Peter 5, 3, they lead, they shepherd by example. That's exactly what the text says. They lead by example. First Timothy 3, they are lead, what, what example do they lead by? Their own character that's been shaped by the word of God. Their qualifications are listed out for you to see. First Peter, First Timothy three, and they feed, not from their own wisdom, but from the wisdom that comes from the word. They lead by their example, and they feed you the word, and not just one rock star. A bunch of them. Why is that important? Here's why it's important. Leadership flows down. Shepherds will impress upon their sheep their own character. See, if you guys follow Tanner and I or Pastor Brian and you start to mimic us, if I'm following Christ, that's a good thing. But if I'm walking in sin, it's disastrous. That's why you need godly leadership because you're going to follow them. Think of, um, think of Aaron's leadership. Remember Aaron? Led, he, he, he was a passive leader. And Moses comes down and the people are on this huge drunken party worshiping a golden calf. Aaron's in charge. Uh, they gave me their gold and I threw it in. I don't know. Not a good leader. Not compared to Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not, not compared to Moses. Think of David. Think of Paul. These were good leaders. And think of the men that followed them. They grew in holiness. They grew in integrity. How will you know? How will you know if a church has godly leadership? They're going to have a heart like God's. Read Mark 6.34. Jesus looked at the crowds and he was filled with compassion. Compassion. Why? Because they were a sheep without a, they were like sheep without a shepherd. They're going to have that kind of heart. They're going to see sheep wandering and they will have compassion and they will love them enough to break their leg. That much. They will follow in the example of the great shepherd in 1 Peter 5.4, which is Christ himself. How else will you know? Watch. Look who's teaching Sunday school. 
You see, see who is teaching and see who is counseling. Watch who is serving. It will be the leaders. The leaders will be leading and the sheep will be following. That's a good, that's a good shepherd. That's real practical. Just look who's leading. If you have leaders who aren't leading, not leaders. Joshua Harris sums it up like this in his book. Three things, and I just did nine. We'll do his three. You want a church that teaches God's word. You want a church that values God's word. And you want a church that lives God's word. And you will not find all of these perfectly in any church. You will be very discouraged. And you'll be very critical and arrogant because knowledge puffs up. It's not about perfection, though, guys. It's about direction. And humbly, I, I, I would say that, man, by the grace of God, may we grow in these things. We have weaknesses in areas. But by God's grace, I hope that we are growing. Um, you're not going to find these on websites. You can, you can do a couple visits, but it's going to take some homework. You're going to have to talk to some people. You're going to have to listen to the sermons. It's going to take a few visits. And then um, I, I have a title at the top of your page. Um, church is not an accessory. You know what an accessory is? I talk to, I, I, every once in a while I talk to a person and they'll want to get married and they'll say, and they'll, they'll tell me their schedule in life and then they're going to do marriage too. See, that's an accessory. Like, I'm going to do this too. See, you don't get married in this. You get married and then you restart. It's foundational. Okay? It's not an accessory. It's a foundation. That's how church is. It's not, um, I'm going to go to this town and get this job and find a church. And No, think about that differently. Are you going to go to a town that absolutely the body of Christ isn't there? Be careful. Who's going to break your leg? You know, who's going to exhort you? Who's going to encourage you? Who's going to teach the word? Who will you submit to? It's not an accessory. I think it's a good word. It's not an add-on. It's, it's foundational to the believer. That's why Hebrews says, do not forsake it. Let's, um, let's go close with a word of prayer. And then I'll ask you guys to come up and lead us in some more singing and worship. Father, in your wisdom, you have given us the body to grow in, Lord. Lord, it is the perfect institution that meets a believer's need, Lord, from the time we are born to the time we die. Lord, I pray that these things that we have talked about would be, would be true in our lives and in this church and in the churches that the people here attend and, and will attend, Lord. Give them wisdom. Help them to be patient and wise as they look for a church, Lord, because, Lord, you know that um, a sick body produces sick limbs, sick fingers. So, and Lord, our desire is for, we love one another, Lord. We, we, I, I want to see these young people grow strong, not to be discouraged, Lord. But, Lord, you're sovereign. You use us even in our, even in our ignorance. And that is my testimony, Lord. I love you. We love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.